Welcome to Ask the Therapist, the podcast that invites you into the therapist room to explore the world of mental health with me, your host, Sarah Rees. Do you ever feel frazzled, frustrated and stuck? Today I'm talking with accredited CBT therapist Jordan McPhail about imposter syndrome and self-doubt. She's sharing how she's dealt with imposter syndrome in her career and personal life and how she's now helping other people manage this. It's such a common experience, especially for women. Jordan works in private practice and works with people individually, but also has created an exciting new Substack community called FFS, Frazzled, Frustrated and Stuck. So I hope you enjoy this episode. So hello, Jordan. Welcome to Ask the Therapist. It's amazing to have you here. Hello. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So I always start when I talk to a CBT therapist about how you arrived at being a CBT therapist, because it is actually quite a strange job to do, isn't it? Like be a therapist and and all that. And so I'm always curious about what, what the journey is to being a therapist. How did it come about for you? I feel like my journey into CBT wasn't some kind of like inspiring (laughs) path I kind of like landed in it a bit randomly well I say that like I don't know if that's actually true but I was a mental health nurse um at the time I'd only been doing it a year um and I was kind of getting a bit fed up already at that point thinking like oh we could be offering people more you know to kind of help themselves like it doesn't feel like we were well equipped with the therapeutic tools that I think I expected. Yeah, it's just a medical model, isn't it? So you're just thinking about medicine and injections. And... Yeah, exactly. And you know, with like working in the crisis team, we'd be going out to support people, and I feel like you know most of the things we'd be saying were just like so basic, you know. And people were in crisis, and obviously, like the basics count, the foundations count, but we just didn't have the skill set to really be able to give people like practical tips to help themselves it was just you know here's the medication that the consultants prescribed like hopefully it'll help soon like go for a walk like do this do that and it's like you know it's very limited isn't it and people would get frustrated as well like naturally like is this it is there nothing more you can do and it would feel like "Mm." so um I just started to kind of like keep my eyes peeled for other opportunities and I wasn't looking for anything specific to be honest with you and I saw a couple of CBT trainee roles advertised and I thought oh that sounds interesting you know and as well it it was a step up from where I was I was a band five and I thought oh band six role leading to a seven great it's progression so I thought yeah it sounds interesting I'll try that I honestly didn't know anything about CBT at the time I didn't really know what it was I went for my interview like quite you know like naive and having done a little bit of reading but like nothing major so yeah that's how I ended up (laughs) falling into CBT. It doesn't sound like you fell into it really that's definitely the path I recognize working as a nurse just thinking is this it just medicine and tablets and just giving that basic advice and yeah and just wanting really thinking that it should be more about recovery which CBT is isn't it exactly yeah exactly and now you specialize working with women with imposter syndrome and self-doubt how did that come about I feel like it's a kind of like journey into private practice you kind of out of 
other services, you get the opportunity to work with lots of different people, but also you kind of like find your niche, don't you? And you kind of find areas that you really enjoy like working in. And um, I think for me as well, I enjoy it because it's something I've experienced myself and do experience myself. You know, it is it is really common. Um, I was going to say that it's it just feels like who doesn't have imposter syndrome and have self-doubt at some time? Yeah, exactly. So I feel like I've recognised it a lot in um, in my clients and particularly in like my female clients. And as I said, I experienced it myself and it, it's just, it just doesn't ever make sense. You know, people will be sat opposite you talking about, you know, what they're doing and what they've achieved and just who they are as a person. And then there's this like crippling self-doubt and just sense of not being good enough, um, being a fraud and, and things like that. And you just can't understand it. You think like, how can you think that? But then, like I say, I, it's something I struggle with as well and, and have done a lot in the past. And and you, it's just, it's really difficult to kind of like break that cycle when it's your own narrative, you know, and your own story that's developed over time. So yeah, I think I, it resonated with me and, you know, I was helping a lot of women kind of like break through those like negative cycles of imposter syndrome. Um, and I just thought, yeah, you know, it'd be nice to be nice to niche down into something. And, and it just felt appropriate, I guess. And what are the common signs and symptoms you notice when somebody's struggling with imposter syndrome and self-doubt? So I guess you'll just see like this pattern of, of thought where regardless of what someone's achieved, they'll be feeling like they'll be doubting themselves, feeling like a, a fraud and like, fear in exposure at any point you know like it's round the corner you know like oh things are, like I'm I'm kind of winging it you hear that all the time like, oh I've been winging it for a while but I just you know any minute like people are going to realize that you know I'm winging it and I don't really know what I'm talking about I don't really have the skills and ability it's just self-doubt despite lots of evidence that you know they do have the skills they do have the ability but it's constantly like attributing any kind of success or achievement to like look or external factors you know like and it's something I've done before as well like with my CBT interview like I'd say to people because people like how did you how did you get it like you'd only been qualified a year and people you know interview multiple times and it was quite competitive and I'd be like it's just right place right time you know like they were opening a service here, I was there and, you know, and it's kind of like, as if there would have been like a massive shortage of candidates for... So you have this sense of like, you kind of winged it, but you probably didn't wing it. Absolutely. You know, I'm still not convinced, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think that is, you know, you're right. And when I see clients that mismatch, they're like, and I think it's because sometimes with people with low self-esteem or imposter syndrome overcompensate so they end up really achieving but the mismatch between and I often wonder when they come in like what do they think when they think of me you know how do I have okay esteem yeah, absolutely and ironically like imposter syndrome is like massively prevalent in high achievers you know which as you say there's a, there's a lot of reasons for that but you know as you said like you'll see a lot of like overcompensating in people 
you know, working hard and lots of behavior, like perfectionism, lots of behaviors that are designed to kind of, I guess, like prevent that imposter syndrome from being activated. Like if I just try really hard, maybe people won't notice that I don't belong here. Um, But actually, you know, it's not down to that. There's no need for people to, you know, overcompensate or be perfectionistic to the extent that they are. It's just this kind of belief system that's perpetuating these cycles of behavior and more often than not it it can also lead to other things you know like burnout and exhaustion and things like that which again like feed that cycle of imposter syndrome (laughs) but you know I can't cope I'm not good enough etc get caught in these vicious cycles all the time what do you think is the underlying cause or the roots of this it's I think it's like a, a multitude of things really but I would say like a huge influencing factor is probably like societal expectations and pressures particularly in this day and age instagram social media like even you know general things like the media in general you know before social media was massive like there's been like a growing kind of platform for like comparison hasn't there so what we see on tv you know on the news or popular talk shows or reality shows things like that and then absolutely like the the kind of growing of social media like everyone wants to show you on these platforms like what they're doing best and you know that's maybe like I don't know like five ten percent of somebody's life at best and you're sat at home having one of your average normal days thinking well you know this person's out there doing all of this stuff achieving all of those things like I'm not good enough so there's a lot of comparison, I think, as well, like, particularly for, for women as well, like gender stereotypes and, you know, traditional kind of like gender roles and expectations of of women have evolved over time as, as women have kind of like moved into the workplace and, you know, developing successful careers, you know, equally as as men do. But often there's still an expectation to manage the home manage family you know if it's not children then often if there are any sick relatives parents things like that more often than not those responsibilities fall to women so you you've kind of got this pressure to excel in all areas you know you want to excel in work and you know do as well as kind of like male counterparts are doing but at the same time like you you may well have much more responsibility in other areas of your life as well so I think there's a lot of pressure a lot of expectation right yeah and you have to look great as well yeah this is just so it's so much isn't it like just the weight of expectation and perceived expectation of others rather than just kind of like being able to pursue things that are in line with your own values a while ago I started trying to have you know these miracle mornings because I was like everybody's getting up at half five and like they're exercising meditating done a bit of journaling had a smoothie but I've learned that before 7 a.m like there's no point because I just I'm a gremlin for a week I only did it I think one morning but and I think I realized everybody that was doing it lived in California it's really sunny in the morning and it's crap in the UK isn't it it just can't be real life. They, they call it toxic productivity, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's a huge influence. In fact, to just conditioning, you know, and messaging that becomes internalized. And 
then, you know, if you throw into the mix any sort of negative experiences from childhood that might kind of like add fuel to the fire in terms of like a critical narrative, you know, if you've had particularly like critical parents or there have genuinely been, you know, high expectations for achievement, there's so many different things, aren't there, that can perpetuate that cycle for people so many different individual experiences on top of these global societal experiences and expectations that we're bombarded with on a daily basis yeah constantly it's just ridiculous isn't it we have to really protect ourselves from it because it's so easy to get drawn in into this stuff and we have to put our blinkers on don't we and just kind of run our own race a little bit with it which is harder than ever, isn't it, in this day and age where you've got a notification going off every three seconds on your phone and you can doom scroll for hours on end. Oh my God, yeah. In terms of CBT, do you find it effective with imposter syndrome, low self-esteem and kind of self-doubt? And what kind of strategies? I would say that CBT is kind of really well-placed to help people address things like imposter syndrome because we're looking at negative thought patterns, beliefs and behaviours that are associated with imposter syndrome, using the kind of practical strategies to help people break the cycle, because that's what it is, you know, a psychological kind of cycle and pattern of thought and behaviour. I feel like um, what I like to do first with people in the therapy space is you know, as part of the assessment, as we often do, just kind of start to develop a bit of a, an individual formulation of someone's belief system and looking at what experiences they've had that might have fed this their own belief system to develop around, you know, being a fraud, not being good enough, comparison to others and things like that. Because I find that people often like to think about the why in therapy, don't they? Like, why am I like this? They come with a problem or a set of symptoms, but often it's like, why though? Yeah. And that's a good starting point, isn't it? To help people make sense of what's gone on, what's led up to this and then start from that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we'll kind of like unpick that, unpick, you know, any like negative core beliefs and experiences that might have fed those, any patterns of behavior that are keeping them stuck in the cycle so it might be things like for me for example one of the things that keeps you stuck is fear that people are going to find out that you're a fraud and therefore avoiding situations that could actually give you the opportunity to prove yourself otherwise you know so for example things that I commonly see and that I've experienced will be like avoiding sharing like a professional opinion you know in a meeting kind of like sitting back and listening to everybody else talk, but thinking, I don't want to speak because, you know, people will think will finally think like she's literally not got a clue what she's talking about. But actually had you have spoken and said what you really thought or, you know, given your professional opinion, it gives that opportunity then for for feedback. More evidence that actually you do know what you're talking about. Exactly. So, so yeah, so we'd formulate, identify and challenge negative thoughts. So like the cognitive side of things, helping people to learn not to just accept their thoughts is a big thing, isn't it? In CBT, we actually start to think about where are these thoughts coming from? Do they hold any credibility? And again, you know, encouraging people to develop a more self-compassionate voice and narrative because 
we're so critical of ourselves often aren't we and we're with ourselves all the time aren't we exactly exactly so you know it is really really important the way that we speak to ourselves and you know how we respond to ourselves as well so that's a big part of it as you said kind of examining the actual evidence whether that's you know looking to the past and doing kind of historical tests and things and then starting to think about from now you know how do we start to have a more kind of objective view of of things rather than constantly you know working on that imposter syndrome hypothesis and yeah as I say like the behavioral experiment side of things is huge to back all of it up you know what situations are you avoiding for fear that you're going to be found out and how do we start to approach them and, and make them an opportunity to disprove the theory that you're an imposter because there's always so much opportunity and you you see it when you when you're talking to people like you sat in that space thinking it's all going to be negative people are going to think you're awful you're not capable etc but you just know that that person if they give themselves the chance would get so much positive good you know rich feedback but again what we have to work on in therapy is not dismissing that because that's a huge a huge you know factor in imposter syndrome just not being able to accept that positive feedback and in dismissing it as you know well they're just being nice or again it's a one-off like next time yeah they don't mean it it's not what they really think did you experience a lot of it you kind of hinted at it before when you went because you'd qualified as a mental health nurse and went quickly into CBT training yeah absolutely I feel like it's been a huge theme throughout my life you know whatever I've been doing and you know even talking about it now makes me feel awkward because you know I was going to go back to how you know ironically it's kind of high achievers and even like mildly describe myself as a high achiever feels uncomfortable but if I was to look at if it was somebody else's story you know and, and somebody said to me yeah you know I was a nurse for a year and then I moved into the CBT trainee role I actually got a band six role quite quick as well after qualifying about nine months after, which is really quick. Yeah, it is really fast. You know, it was an achievement. But again, like there were some people and these are the things you remember, aren't they? Like, again, the things I remember people going, oh, that's a lot of responsibility very quickly. I'm not sure I'd want that. How are you going to cope with that? You know, there were there were a few people like that. And then there were a lot of other people that like, that's amazing, like, well done, etc. But yeah, definitely, you know, landing in the CBT course like quite quickly and then being a CBT therapist quite early on. What I like about what you've done is put, you know, even if you struggle with self-doubt or imposter that you've you've applied for that job. But, you know, how do you do that? Because I would imagine lots of people don't go for things and don't live life as fully as they should be living because of these. But you've kind of gone, um, no, I'm still going to do it. How have you done that? Do you know what? It's something I was thinking about before we came on to the podcast, because as you say, like a lot of people just would not have given themselves the opportunity in the first place. And I would say like I've had a lot of encouragement from like my family, which is is lovely. And in, in the kind of like in my career space, I think I was more willing to take a chance, but I'd always feel like I needed to do it discreetly you know like I I either wouldn't tell anyone that I was doing it just in case it didn't go right or 
if I did tell people close to me, I'd be like, I know I'm not going to get it, but it'd be good experience. So I'd always say that, like... You're kind of one foot in, one foot out. I'll give it a It's kind of what I want to do. You're following your values, but you're kind of one foot in. Oh, I don't expect anything to come from it. Yeah, exactly. That classic kind of like preparing yourself for the worst and, you know, letting everyone know that it's very unlikely so you don't feel too let down. So, yeah, and I would just say, well, you know, just... I'd just take a chance however I think in doing that for me personally that fed my narrative even more of like well it's luck like I shouldn't have got it at this stage I'm really winging it now because you know it's not it's not the norm it's not average so I really am an imposter here you know I really shouldn't be when you like the CBT training course is one of the like the toughest things you know, I've known people that have done PhDs and said they do another two PhDs rather than, because you know you've got all the you're videoed and doing your therapy and having, I mean you've got to get over watching yourself back on video and then just being criticised in how you do. Well, not you know constructive feedback, but it feels yeah. you know. So when you've passed that, you think, wow, this is I I am pretty good here. No, because <laughs> then I feel like as well there's there's always something isn't there and again like it it's something to overcome and I would say it's only in like the last couple of years that I've really started to challenge like my own imposter syndrome properly and really you know give myself a bit of credit and like develop that like self-compassion because I feel like once you've finished your training again like there's there's this narrative isn't there no, I believe it's right in some ways and not in others, but they're, they're always preparing you like, you know, the course is really, really hard. You will struggle. Like it is difficult, etc. And then you qualify and you know, like often you're then going into an IAP service and you're going to have a hefty caseload. Not one client is anything like the textbook, is it? So like, oh my God, I'm, where's the model for this? I wasn't taught this. It's like learning to drive, isn't it, unfortunately? Yeah, exactly. So then you land, you're fully qualified and you're like, I don't know how I've passed the course because this is really hard. Like you say, nobody is textbook. People don't fit into boxes. Should I follow a protocol? should I like dare to get a bit creative in therapy so yeah there's there's that journey of just like building confidence so I feel like there's a there's a lot of room there for imposter syndrome to linger when it you know when it's already kind of like lived within you for a long time it's just there basking in you know your anxiety and distress of like the new challenges and situations but yeah I would say it is something that over time is like my confidence grows and like you know as as it tends to in that space it does start to give you room to maybe like question things a little bit more and start to challenge that really negative kind of narrative yeah and I think for therapy there's quite a few therapists that'll be listening to it and I mean I've, I've never met a therapist that doesn't have imposter syndrome no absolutely yeah especially in CBT because it's constantly evolving research is coming out you never get it there's never an end so you never kind of go right I've learned it and I can do it because there's somebody does some new research which is amazing and exactly how it should be but it does it's you're forever learning aren't you definitely and people are people like we're all so different in many ways you know and 
there's as we'll come on to like there's reassurance and validation in like shared experiences and there are a lot of shared experiences as you've just said like amongst the therapist community and things but we are very nuanced and different and that's what we see in our client group like you say you know people might come in with like I don't know OCD for example is a classic isn't it everybody's kind of intrusions and rituals can be so different because our experiences are different our brains and thought patterns are slightly different fears are different so you know you can never read something like you say and be like right that's it I know exactly how to treat anything that comes through my door you know and that's why we've got supervision and we're part of different communities and we've got CPD it's brilliant but and it's great because it's nice to be challenged and to work with clients to formulate their difficulties and understand things better but but sometimes it'd be nice to go to work and think I've got this nailed down it would yeah yeah because it can be exhausting can't it just like constantly working and I know what I'm like you know I love that challenge I would love working with individuals and the different presentations and that you know working with people to help them you know overcome challenges so there's no way that I could go into a job and do the same thing day in day out if you'd like to find out more about life behind the scenes of private practice then why not join us in our therapist corner substack community therapist corner on substack offers an exclusive look behind the scenes of the business of therapy bringing together diverse perspectives and exploring the how and why of the business of therapy Visit therapistcorner.co.uk to sign up or for more information. Now you run a beautiful private practice, very successful. You've got a beautiful website and you you put a lot of work into it and you um, run a community on Substack. And I'd love you to say more about that and, and what it is. So I'm trying. (laughs) It's a bit, it's taken me a while to kind of like get momentum with it as it does with new things. I'm a big procrastinator. And again, I'm sure there's some imposter syndrome in that. But yeah, the Substack side of things, obviously inspired by you massively, trailblazing (laughs) with the platform. Um, But I think it is a really, really lovely platform that can help us build communities and that's what I'm hoping to do over time is to build a community of kind of like-minded women who you know may experience imposter syndrome probably do but who are feeling kind of like overwhelmed maybe like anxious and just stuck in one way or another so I'm hoping to just make you know not the therapy space necessarily more accessible but you know therapy can be expensive can't it and platforms like Substack mean that we can kind of like share a bit of our knowledge and expertise such an amazing opportunity for therapists and for mental health services generally the access to mental health care and to kind of have more access from a CBT therapist if you don't want therapy you can't afford it or you know you might think well maybe later down the line but I think some people might want to get a taste of what it's like. Yeah, exactly. And I know what I'm like as well when I'm looking for like services or a supervisor or anything. I want to go and have a look to kind of get to know somebody a bit more. And so it does offer that as well, doesn't it? It's increased, you know, access and to like some credible sound advice and, and, you know, helpful stories and hints and tips and things. So that's what I'm hoping to create on Substack with my FFS platform. 
And what does FFS stand for? Remind me. It stands for frazzled, frustrated and stuck. Because I feel like so many people can relate to that, just feeling exactly like that, you know, and stuck in a space. And I certainly have before. So yeah, that's what it stands for. I'm trying to build a community of like-minded women where, you know, Substack's nice as well, isn't it? Because you can interact with one another, like the community can interact and I feel like community spaces have a, a kind of a lot of power in themselves in terms of like validation of, you know, experience. Well, I think within the imposter syndrome, self-doubt, because um, you'll go in and meet other women that are absolutely amazing with the same kind of thoughts that you have. So you'll be like, that is, you know, talk about challenging your thinking and having to kind of examine it a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things is just it's shame reduction in a community, isn't it? Is is huge because there's there's so much shame in imposter syndrome and in like a, a lot of things around, you know, like confidence and I guess, you know, so many different problems that we experience are um really bolstered by shame. It's such a horrible emotion, isn't it? And you know, feeling that somehow kind of like you're inadequate and you're not performing as well as other people are or other people just do not think or experience the same things that you do. And actually what a community teaches you is that probably like most people do, um, particularly with imposter syndrome and, you know, even like Therapist Corner and the space that you've created for therapists, it's just so lovely that you know it's not so lovely to hear that other people are also struggling with the same things but in a way it is it's just nice to know like it's not abnormal I'm not struggling massively and other people aren't it's a common struggle of you know imposter of being a therapist and being able to kind of feel comforted and reassured by that and also share things that have worked for some people you know it's not a one-size-fits-all so it's nice to be able to share things that one thing hasn't worked like I really found this helpful and you know just like you say having a seen and you're very open you talk about your kind of lived experience is that and I guess you've worked on that and thought this is kind of what I want to do because you also say that you've been kind of you were quite discreet about it has it been helpful I think so yeah massively yeah because again I think there's always there's an opportunity as soon as you start talking about something it invites a conversation and again more often than not what you'll hear is oh my god I felt like that as well and you're like really and then again there's the shame reduction there's the okay you know may, maybe if this person's experiencing it and I literally cannot understand why because they seem to be doing really well then like maybe just maybe like that's similar for me and I do deserve to be here and I'm not actually a fraud so it is really, really powerful, I think, just like speaking openly and, you know, developing the confidence to be able to do that is, yeah, really valuable, I think. I really like that you're not just coming in as I'm a CBT therapist and I've got all the knowledge and experience, but, you know, you kind of go, I struggle with this too. And you do this and you're still working on it and you've done all the training and all that. It just, you know, I think that's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think it's nice, like, it's great being a CBT therapist to be able to learn the tools to help yourself as well as other people. And one of the things I say to, like, you know, friends, family, clients is 
like you know the classic like we are all human like we're not faultless often therapists go into therapy because of some experiences you know they've had themselves um and wanting to help other people with similar things and but yeah I often said in the early days like oh being a therapist is like just being a hypocrite (laughs) we've got loads of the same problems and we might struggle as well to like challenge our negative thoughts or you know um activity schedule but we're telling our clients to but actually what it does force you to do I think a lot of the time is you're constantly calling yourself out because if I'm anxious about you know for example coming on this podcast it would be very easy for me to be like yeah yeah maybe like in six months time when I've had time to brush up on every book I can read on imposter syndrome and I'll feel confident and of course it would never come anyway it really allows yourself to yeah call yourself out and catch yourself and be like you're avoiding that because you're anxious or you feel like an imposter so step into that space you know you'd be telling your clients to do the same so I think it's a really amazing opportunity to continue to develop yourself and work on yourself whilst also like helping other people do the same and make like real you know valuable change yeah my big thing has been public speaking that I mean I think I was actually phobic about it you know even getting up in front of 20 people and saying um we're starting at nine o'clock there's the fire exit and there's the toilets I would have been horrendous and I was like actually you know I've got to get myself over this because of what I do and that was the thing that I thought that is going to be the thing that I'm really going to work on because I have been short you know and and actually it then gives me really good experience for talking with clients and I think it really helps that connection doesn't it when you say this is what I struggled with and it's it's not easy that's the other thing we have really tricky brains and with all the knowledge and all the skills it's still really really tough isn't it exactly yeah so if somebody is listening to um, this episode and has um, imposter syndrome, what practical tips and um, exercises would you recommend? What would, If you could give us a few of your top things that are useful, what would they be? Yeah, I would say, you know, things that people can maybe start to do themselves are things that you can do without a therapist. The historical tests that I mentioned, for example, like for somebody to sit down and as objectively as possible like I always say to my clients when we're doing this you know if you'd recognize it as an achievement for a friend you recognize it for yourself kind of thing so just start to kind of like look back on your whole entire life you know from an age that you can remember and like start to list the things that you've achieved and the things that you've done well you know really purposely intentionally trying to recognize those things really hard and it's such a simple strategy isn't it but and you can see the value in it and how much well I personally would think oh makes me go oh god yeah definitely but again as you say I think when people start to do it even like reluctantly start to note a few things down once you start to gain momentum with it and again if you try to catch yourself by saying like because if you know there's always that risk that you go yeah that's not that good though like there's no point writing that down that was really small catch yourself like would you write it down for a friend would you write it down for your own children or people that you care about like write it down like everything just get it down on paper you know you've spent years of your life documenting your failures the criticisms everything you're doing wrong let's now go back and do the opposite you know so 
start to log, you know, a, a list of achievements and things that contradict the imposter syndrome, essentially. And then like going forward from today, again, just keeping one like a, a log of things that are challenging the imposter syndrome on a daily basis, you know, the, the things you, you're achieving, like, I did get a piece of positive feedback from my boss or from a colleague, I stood up and spoke in a meeting and people seemed to be engaged, you know, all of these things that we so easily ignore on a daily basis and hone in on the, you know, the negatives or not even negatives, but, you know, if somebody asks a question, people can often perceive that as like, oh, they, they don't think I know what I'm talking about or you know, it's not always like outright criticism, is it? More often than not, it's just subtle things that are interpreted as evidence for, you know, imposter syndrome. So yeah, just just starting to gain a bit of flexibility in that and, and logging the things we're kind of doing well, logging the achievements, like the small wins on a daily basis can help just to start to shift our perspective a little bit and put our achievements on our radar rather than always ignoring or dismissing them so that's something that people can start to do just listing achievements developing a log um, going forward and again as I said before starting to identify the situations that you you know that you're probably avoiding so if if you're sat in a situation if somebody asks you to I don't know speak or present or if somebody asks if you'll give your opinion in a certain situation and you immediately feel vulnerable to being found out, starting to recognise those situations and just very gradually challenge yourself, you know, maybe say yes to some of these things and allow yourself, see it as an opportunity to get feedback. Is it, you know, am I really going to be criticised and found out? Like just really gradually start to, to challenge that and put yourself in the situations that you'd probably otherwise avoid because you're fearful of being found out. One of my biggest worries for people with self-doubt or imposter syndrome is that missed opportunities, which is why I love so much that, you know, you say you struggled with it, but you've still gone forward and done stuff. It's not held you back. I just think, I suppose I've worked with people where they've not gone for the job, not even applied for it or, you know, and just all those missed opportunities can be a real tragedy. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and it is funny, isn't it? Because I feel like there, there are people who, a lot of people who miss out on opportunities. And there are a lot of people who have applied for a, a promotion, have gone for a course, have gone for a job, you know, we're talking about high achievers, and they're in these positions. But there might be other opportunities to do different things, whether it's career based, or whether it's an opportunity to try something new somewhere, you know, that are still missed, like even though somebody looks like they're excelling or succeeding, it's other things that can can go kind of like, like you say, missed opportunities and things that can go undetected as well. Absolutely. Yeah. What kind of challenges do you see people have with imposter syndrome or blocks to kind of getting better or implementing changes? Just like at its very core, it's self-doubt, isn't it? So if you're kind of like riddled with self-doubt on a daily basis, there's also going to be a level of doubt that you can overcome the self-doubt, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you think, why bother? Why try? Yeah. And I think if it's uncomfortable and it changes, it makes you want to avoid it, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we find that with a lot of our clients, don't we? And that 
people show up and that's huge in itself but there is a reluctance to essentially start to unpack the very things that you've spent a really long time keeping close to your chest and spent a really long time trying to kind of hide the fact that you believe you're an imposter essentially you know starting to address it does look like being very vulnerable and there's a lot of discomfort in that isn't there um and a lot of anxiety around that and in some ways it's easier to not address things but it's the long-term cost of that isn't it? it it isn't worth it when you do kind of zoom out and look at what it might have robbed people of up until now and the potential for it to continue to do that and I think yeah so the challenges in being vulnerable and actually stepping out of your comfort zone as it always is and it sounds like it's really important to keep your white like the longer term goal of values and where you want to get to is very central so that can keep the motor motivation up you've talked about kind of negative self-talk and criticism being kind of fundamental to this how would you work with people in shifting their kind of thought patterns and challenging those So again, I think it's going back to doing exactly that, the kind of like negative thought challenging work that we do, kind of like core intervention in CBT and helping people to develop a more compassionate narrative. So just going back to what I said earlier around not accepting our thoughts and just going about our daily lives without intervening, stopping to to challenge our thoughts and to have a more compassionate response to ourselves, you know, so I do quite a lot of work on intervening with thoughts and, you know, just kind of like restructuring. There's so many worksheets and stuff in CBT that that lends itself really well to a community, doesn't it? You don't really need to be in therapy to do a lot of that work, do you? I think that's going to be really, you know, easily shared on the Substack community. And and there's there's groups for everything, isn't there? Like diet and nutrition and hobbies and stuff. I think we thrive when we've got a little bit of accountability, don't we? And that's what the therapy space brings. It is, like you say, it's like lifestyle and diet and exercise. I know for me, like I've had some success when I'm doing a self-directed program. And if I've got an appointment with a personal trainer, I have better success. So therapy is similar, isn't it? That absolutely we can share our resources and, you know, kind of offer like self-directed programs that can be really, really helpful and successful for a lot of people. But I think there are, you know, a lot of other people that want to come into therapy to to have that accountability each week and, and that, you know, that ongoing support. But, you know, for people who can't access it for whatever reason there are lots of other ways and as we say a community is a great space because you you can keep yourself accountable by sharing things and developing you know relationships with other people in the community who will you know who'll be rooting for you and keeping you accountable in a, in a different way which is nice I'm very looking forward to joining it so it's frazzled frustrated and stuck on Substack but I'll put all the links in the show notes and everything And the last question that I ask all my guests is, if you could go back to your 15-year-old self, what would you say to her? Oh, it's so difficult, isn't it? All sorts. (laughs) One of the main things would be to just, just like not care so much about what other people think of you. I think that, that kind of being so preoccupied and worried at that age 
about what others thought of me just really, really stopped me from living my life to the fullest, which sounds really like cringy and cliche, but it's true. Like I think for young people and particularly at like age 15, it's such a challenge because we're so invested in how we're perceived by other people that I I don't think I even knew what I genuinely valued or cared about at that age because I was just so bothered about what I was meant to be doing, what I should be doing, what everyone else thought, you know, was like the way to be doing things, to be accepted. And Did you have Instagram and that when you were that age? No. So Instagram wasn't quite it when I was that age. I was at the developing age of the internet when I was at school where like MSN had arrived. Platforms like MySpace and Bebo were like coming out and like falling off the edge of a cliff. And when I was like 15, 16, I think Facebook had just started to take off. So yeah, that was, you know, obviously a really big developing platform as well. Yeah, I just imagine all that, that kind of what you're going through then with Instagram and face is so hard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's so much I'd say to my 15 year old self. But I think unfortunately it's one of those things isn't it that like as you as you learn and grow I feel like I know so many people you know who I work with friends family members who all feel the same like it's not until you get into kind of like I would say like late 20s for a lot of people that you even start to feel remotely comfortable in your own skin and like able to I would say my 30s I got (laughs) I was even later yeah yeah definitely which yeah I wish it wasn't like that I wish there was a way and I'm you know I'm sure things will shift and change but there's also just like a lot of additional pressure on 15 years yeah and that pressure has grown and grown and grown and with social media but groups that you're kind of send communities you're setting up and Substack aren't there yet so I wonder if there's going to be a growth in that aspect because of the way we're struggling with self-esteem self-doubt and and imposter syndrome because of our culture that actually there's a massive need for these communities aren't there and trash the balance a little bit if somebody's interested how can they find you yeah so I'm on Instagram JM Talking Therapy I've got a Facebook page but um yeah I, I pick things up um on Facebook as well and my website um which is jmtalkingtherapy.co.uk or .com and obviously Substack at um FFS yeah fantastic I shall put all the links to everything in the show notes so people can find you very quickly and I'm really excited to see what you do on some stock for your time today thank you for having me it's been lovely thank you for listening to today's episode of as a therapist I'll be discussing all you've heard in this episode and more over in the therapist corner community on Substack to join me there just click on the link in the show notes until next time take care of your mental well-being as you continue on the path to becoming the best version of yourself